0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to Explore FI Canada, where we sit at the round table with Canadians and share their thoughts, ideas, and personal journeys to financial independence. Thanks to Matt McKeever for sponsoring Explore FI Canada. Matt is a Canadian investor, CPA, entrepreneur, and real estate expert who achieved FIRE at age 31. Do us a favor and check out his YouTube channel by searching Matt McKeever or using the link in our show notes. All right, here we are, Explorify Canada, Money Mechanic with you, and of course, my friend Chrissy.
1: Hello, how are you doing, Money Mechanic?
0: Well, I have to say, I'm glad we're recording in the basement today. I should have actually just moved into the FI Garage because it's the coolest out there. It is a hot summer day, so I hope everybody got outside and enjoyed that, and they're listening to this, maybe on a car trip to somewhere fun and staying away from everybody else. But we are gonna have a guest on the show today, so I always introduce the guests. It's your turn, Chrissy.
1: <laughs> All right. So our guest today is someone that we've known for quite a while, and he's been in our community for a long time and has his own blog. And that would be Bob Lai from TalkN. Welcome.
2: Hey, guys. How's it going?
1: Good. How are you?
2: Good. It's, uh sure is hot.
1: It is. Yeah, I am on the top floor of my house, and it's... Toasty in here with the computer on and the windows shut because there's construction outside. So I am baking.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm hiding down. I might move the uh, bed and sleep downstairs with the dogs this time. Yeah,
1: we did that last night. (laughs) It's so much better.
0: (laughs) But no complaints because uh, we are on the West Coast and it's nice to have a hot summer day for change. And hopefully it's still hot by the time this gets released and uh, listeners are listening. So Bob, great to finally have you on the show, and we are considering you an expert of sorts tonight, so you can fill our listeners in on the interesting topic of dividends, which we haven't really covered on this show yet. We've talked about index funds and things like that, the paid distributions, and I think in passing, we've probably mentioned dividend investing many times, we haven't really sort of dove into it. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit later on. So why don't you just start off and introduce yourself. As Chrissy mentioned, you have your own blog, and you're quite well known. You've been blogging for a while now. So in your own words, though, take it away. Let our listeners know who you are.
2: Sure. Uh, First of all, thanks for having me on. As Chrissy mentioned, I blog on talcant.com. Talcant is a word I invented when I started using the internet. It basically stands for Taiwanese Canadian. So the premise of the blog is to chronicle my journey toward financial independence and also joy for life so i i focus not just on the money aspect but also on the only the life aspect because i think having money isn't everything right so you, you need to be happy with your life and you know there there's other aspect of uh, well-being than having money so i i blog and write about dividend investing for one financial independence, but also mental wellness, you know, finding happiness and other topics that don't really ex- get explored when it comes to personal finance. Yeah, and then I started blogging, I forgot now, like, I think it was 20, six, 2015, 2016, somewhere there. So I've been blogging for five or six years now, so it's been a while on the internet. We are in Vancouver, Canada, we're a single income family, and obviously that makes it harder when it comes to financial independence. So part of the reason for the blog is to demonstrate that it is possible to become financially independent while on one single income while living in one of the most expensive cities in the world.
1: Yeah. And that's how I discovered your blog. Before I started blogging, I was looking for another Vancouver blogger to connect with. And I was so happy to found your blog and to read that your wife is also a stay-at-home mom like I am, and you have two kids like me, and that you live in Vancouver. So it's really cool to have all these different stories out there that it's not just people who live in small towns, not just people who live in the US. There are a lot of us us out there, um, including in Canada and in expensive cities. So Thank you for sharing your story and your knowledge. And so you gave us a pretty good overview of yourself and your blog and your FIRE journey. So I think we're ready to dive right into the main topic here because you're quite prolific on your site. (laughs) You write quite a bit and I think your readers really go to you for advice on dividend investing. So you've written two posts that I've pulled some questions from because they're quite comprehensive. You have one called Dividend FAQ, which you list quite a number of questions and recently you also wrote your dividend and index ETF questions answered because apparently your FAQ wasn't enough. (laughs) So yeah, A few more questions to add.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I wrote a dividend FAQ a while. Actually, both of those posts were written a while ago and I just recently updated them. But yeah, the first one I published and then more uh, questions came out. And and just to be set the record straight, we we not only do dividend investing, we also do index investing. So it's a bit of a a hybrid. The idea is to do dividend investing so we get sort of predictable income. And then for index investing is more getting that diversification, both asset-wise and also geographical diversification. So kind of, I would call it best of both worlds, per se. So that's our investing uh, strategy.
0: Just a quick question. Chrissy has some great questions that we're going to follow up with, but just a quick question that because you mentioned that hybrid strategy, did you start with that from day one or did you start dividends and then go index or vice versa? The reason I ask is because I use a bit of this hybrid strategy as well, but I started just doing dividends at the beginning and and doing it poorly and then kind of realizing like, oh, you know what? I really need better diversification and the low fee index funds were the way to go. So how did you start?
2: Yeah, it's funny that you asked that. So I started dividend investing kind of by mistake. (laughs) So when I started working, well, I I started DIY investing probably in 2006. So shortly after I graduated from university and I just sort of picked a stock. Back then it was called ING. Um, Now it's called Intact Financial. For some reason, I thought I was a bank account because that, that used to be tangering, used to be called ING, right? So I, just, I didn't really do any research. I just like, oh, this sounds like a good name. Bought it and turns out it pays dividend. And I bought uh, manual life shortly after that. And both stocks got hit pretty hard during the financial crisis. But I held on to them. And then over time, uh, we started adding more and more dividend stocks. But I started looking into index fund as I learned more about index, especially after reading quite a number of uh, books on index investing and the, the benefits of diversification, right? So with dividend investing, when you own like one or two stocks or even 10 stocks, your assets are very focused on, the, on those individual stocks, right? So say you have five banks and then uh, two utilities and and three telecom. That's all you have, right? So so if if the banks are not doing well, your portfolio doesn't perform as well. So the idea is to to add index. And that's what we did in the last probably three years or so. Started adding index funds. Uh, we started off with the Canadian ones. But I feel mostly Canadians are heavy on um, on financials and, and oil and gas. So I started looking to... How can I diversify outside of Canada? So one of the ideas is to buy U.S. dividend stocks in our RSPs to avoid the withholding tax. Now, the other idea is to buy these ADR companies listed in U.S. stocks exchanges, Vodafone, for example, or uh, Unilever. But there's not that many of them out there you could invest as Canadian. So then I started looking to international ETFs. And that's where I started doing VXC, the Vanguard X Canada Index, and then we s- recently switched over to the iShares version of it, the XAW. Uh, XAW. That's it. Yeah. Right. And the idea is to be able to diversify outside of Canada, and tap into the internationals, like US, but not only US, but also you know developing countries, Asian countries, and such. So we're more diversify. And I think I think that's that's a mistake when it comes to dividend investing. People think that, you know, the banks, they can never fail, right? You look at the big fives, but you know, you never know, right? So the more you diversify the better. That makes life a bit easier. And you probably don't see as much volatility when you're more diversified. So that that's the idea. So yeah, I started off with dividend investing and then went to index and now we're doing a bit of a hybrid.
1: Can I ask you do you look at your portfolio as two halves, like you manage your dividends in a certain way and your index investing? What I'm asking is about the international allocation. Do you look at the whole thing as a whole, and you have, you know, for instance, a third Canadian, a third U.S., a third international, or is it that you look at each half on its own?
2: We look at it collectively, and to be honest, I would like to increase our international exposure more. If I look at our top ten, I think that's currently a number. Four five or six depending on the on the value of the different stocks so ideally I would like to have the XAW more in the you know top three even top two to get, get a bit more international exposure
1: so where are you right now what is your allocation to each
2: right now we're internationally probably around if I count all the US stocks as well we're probably around 30 to 40 okay. percent international okay ideally I won't do like 50 50 or even 40 60. So reduce the Canadian exposure. Mm-hmm. Just so, I mean, Canadian, like I said, it's very financial and oil and gas. So we all know that when oil price tanks, the Canadian economy doesn't do it as well. So just trying to um, stay away from that as much as possible, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the big issues. I mean, I got myself into that problem too because I started taking dividends at the beginning, and it was exciting because I had a TFSA where I knew those dividends were going to be coming in tax-free, but I all of a sudden became way too biased to Canada. And I think a lot of us has found that. It's like, oh, now we need to get some other exposure to combat that. But also, I mean, if you look at Canadian stocks, for example,
2: TD, they're diversified in the US, right? So like Bank of Nova Scotia, it's they're diversified in Latin Americas. But yeah, because of that, they're performing poorly recently. And then you look at something like AQN, which is a utility company, they're plantry in in the U.S. too, right? So some companies do diversify, and there are some REITs, international REITs, that have their properties in Europe or U.S. but they're listing in Canada. So that, in that sense, it's, it's international too. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to see, just because it's listed in, in Canadian stock exchange doesn't mean it's, it's all
0: Canada. That's a good point. That's a really good point.
1: Can you tell us or tell our listeners if, let's say, m- most of our listeners are probably index investors and they are interested in dabbling in dividend stocks like, like you, maybe taking a hybrid approach. How would you suggest they get started? Because to me, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of research. <laughs> yeah. You have to really know the companies. like You do a ton of research and you have a lot of knowledge, but how does someone get there from zero
2: well, my approach is actually very simple, to be honest. So I look at things that we use on a daily basis. What do you use on a daily basis that you rely on? So we use our cell phones. So, mm-hmm. you know, TELUS, Rogers, or Bell, right? We use banking. So, you know, TD, Royal Bank, Bank of Nova Scotia, CIBC, Bank of Montreal. You know, most, most people don't switch their banks. Very, very rarely. Uh, telecom. You know, people are addicted to, to data, right? Fortis, we we all live in BC. Fortis, BC, you know, they have socks. They We have to use Fortis in the winter especially, right? So things that we rely on that we can't really get rid of. Another one is your internet providers or, you know, Shaw, for example, right? Um, so I look at those and then start researching these companies. And then the other thing I do is I look at the index funds. So, for example, VCN. And I look at the top 10, 20 companies that VCN holds and I see which ones pay dividend. So those are the the ones I would focus on. If I compare our portfolio with with VCN, for example, we probably hold 80 to 90 percent of the top 20 stocks that VCN holds. right? But instead, with the index fund, you can't really pick how much percentage each stock you hold. With me, with our portfolio, I could allocate whatever percentage I, I feel like, right? So that's kind of why I like my own way. Essentially, I'm creating my own index fund by picking my own stocks. And then once you have these, these companies, you could go into more research, like how much dividend growth are they doing each year? What's their PE ratio? What's their payout ratio? Usually, I like to go in and read their quarterly and annual reports just to understand how the company is doing and if they change strategies at all. I mean, the big banks, like the big names, you don't probably need to do that much research because they're pretty well known, but especially if I, I'm starting a new company that I'm interested to invest in, I do a bit more research and really dive into their annual and quarterly reports. But yeah, it, it, you could do a tons of research, but you can always, always keep it really, really simple and, uh, just pick the pick companies that make things that you you use on a daily
0: basis. So, one of the traps that I found when I started off with dividend investing is chasing yield and discussing the large Canadian blue chips. As you mentioned, it's fairly straightforward doing analysis on those, but I definitely got myself caught up in looking at some of the smaller market cap value stocks. And we won't go, we could probably do a whole show on talking about how to use screeners properly, right? And a screener basically is putting in attributes that you want to specifically search for, but there's all sorts of stocks out there that are kind of in the 10 to $20 range that pay out these you know, six, seven, eight percent dividends. And I think a lot of people, when they start dividend investing, chase that yield. Did you get caught up in that? And what do you do now to try and to rein yourself in from these juicy looking yields when their stocks are down and things like that?
2: Yeah, guilty as charged. Yeah. <laughs> I fell into the
0: yield trap. And, and yeah, we
2: all have. to be honest, I fell into that again recently with uh, Inter Pipeline. Oh, yeah. That was yielding about somewhere around 7%. And then the, uh, the price started dropping because the oil price. I knew that that stock was risky. To begin with, I mean they they have some debt and they have some future projects they're working on. But I thought, you know, it's a pipeline company, people rely on on them for transporting resources. But yeah, that was that was when I got caught and we're probably down about 30, 40 percent right now. So for me, there's there's no point selling it because why take the take the loss? I'll just wait and, and see what happens, right? But yeah, it, it's when, when you see stocks that are yielding like about five percent. Ordering signs should go off. Yeah. Um, you definitely should do some more research, especially payout ratio. Now, payout ratio doesn't tell you everything because it's it's dividend divided by earning, right? So some companies like Enbridge, for example, their payout ratio is probably over 100% because the, with pipeline companies, they regularly do maintenance and, and stuff like that. So their earning gets suppressed. Right? So what one parameter you need to do is their free cash flow. So how much cash are they generating per quarter and how much dividend are they paying out? per quarter. And then based on that, you could, you could determine whether the dividends are safe or not. For REITs, you can look at payout ratio from a traditional sense of earning divide, uh, sorry, dividend divided by earning. With REITs, you need to look at their annual report and look at the FFA. That tells you how much fund they're generating and then look at how much dividends they're, they're paying out. And that gives you a, a sense of the payout ratio. Now with REITs, they usually usually pay out anywhere from sixty to ninety percent of their cash, so they're a bit higher than than usual.
1: So you do invest in REITs. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, we don't invest in real estate other than our primary residence. That's not an investment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> <it's not>. Okay, <laughs> that's not investment.
2: But we don't have any other uh, rental property outside of our primary residence, and. Um, we invest in Reese because we don't want to deal with the uh, with finding tenants and all
0: that. The, the clogged toilets. Everybody's the clogged toilets. <laughs> yeah. Does that ever happen? My house has never had clogged toilets. I know. <laughs> yeah.
1: The 3 a.m. call.
0: But that's like yeah. the typical, I don't want to deal with the tenants and the clogged yeah. toilets. But yeah. uh, <laughs> what I was going to say is it was interesting to listen to what you were just talking about because I spent a lot of time at the beginning of my journey trying to learn about stock analysis. And you started throwing out some metrics there that a lot of our listeners probably went right over their heads. And I think it's important to, A, as the listener realize that, like Chrissy, like you said, there's a lot more involved to it and it's a little bit more complicated to get into. And you're going to need to learn, you know, like the price to earnings ratios and like you mentioned, the dividend payout ratios. And, you know, basically there's probably a dozen main metrics that you're going to need to understand quite well, and that's how you're going to do those the analysis of those companies. And you, you mentioned all those, Bob, and I know you've got articles that talk about those and there's a lot of content out there. And that's the one nice thing that this doesn't have to be Canadian centric. So if you find content online about doing that, then you can just sort of understand the basics of that analysis. And you really need to before you get into dividend investing.
2: Yeah. And, and another thing I really like to do is compare companies in the same industry. So if you look at like, again, bank, take bank as an example. So if you look at TD versus Royal Bank versus Bank of Nova Scotia, you could quickly figure out which one is performing better than the other, right? You could look at their P ratio, for example, you know, historical yield, right? So if, if TD is yields historically at 4% and today it yields at 5%, that means, you know, the, the price has come down, right? So if, if it all of a sudden only yields at 2%, that gives you a good indication that, oh, wait a minute, the price probably appreciated a lot already. So again, that, that would give you a quick... Uh, indication if uh, the stock is overpriced or not. Now, it's, it doesn't give you a full picture, but it's a, it's a starting
1: point. Now, how did you learn all this? You seem to have quite a wealth of knowledge. How, where did it come from? Like, Are there resources you could point our listeners to?
2: Definitely a lot of readings, um, a lot of reading books. I also took some investing courses on my own. Basically, a lot of reading. A good book is by a uh, Graham uh, Buffett, one or in Butter Square. Random walk no random walk down the Wall Street. That that's a good one. But uh Intelligent Investor, I think that's called.
1: Okay. Yeah. Ben- Benjamin Graham.
2: It's uh it's a bit dry, but it's it's a really good book if you really want to get into the good stuff.
0: <laughs> that's a tough read. That's a tough read. Yeah. Okay, well, we could go way off the rails and get into that. And it's probably, it's beyond my, it's beyond my level. Cause I started reading that book and I kind of got to the point where I was like, yeah, maybe not.
1: <laughs> yeah. My son found it at the school Christmas fair and brought it home for me. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to have to read this
0: now. Mom, I want a book report on this next yeah. week.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a thick book.
2: <laughs> yeah. But even, even like Beating the Street by Peter Lynch, Peter Lynch has some pretty good books, right? So yeah. Reading books and also uh, reading other other blogs have helped me understand how to analyze stocks and you know, talking to other dividend investors too that that has helped too
1: okay so you're learning about general investing as well, not just dividends specifically correct mm-hmm. okay
2: yeah and and I actually in fact got into very deep into technical analysis <laughs> and that that's another world that, that that you could get into which gets pretty complicated if you wanted to be.
0: Yeah. If you want to bury yourself in graphs and candlesticks and oh, yeah. <laughs> head and shoulders patterns and all the rest of it. And if yeah. somebody's listening and they're like, oh, that sounds amazing. There's tons out there. Go <laughs> have not at me. it.
1: <laughs> not me.
0: <laughs> it's not required for financial independence, but see, it is super, super interesting. And I think, you know, the whole dividend investing is, its a it's a real teaser at the beginning because so many of us and I was the same way as I didn't really know a whole lot about investing. But it was tantalizing looking at these individual stocks and feeling like I had ownership in a company and that was going to pay me a dividend. Now, speaking of those dividends that get paid out to you, we'll talk a little bit about tax efficiency in your different accounts. And also the other question I have for you is those dividends, do you take them in cash or the other, I'll just throw it out there is the drip for our listeners. It's the dividend reinvestment program. Do you have a specific strategy with that?
2: Yeah. So right now we were fully reinvesting our dividends and we're trying to be as tax efficient as possible. So what we do is we maximize our TFSA, both my wife and my TFSA each year at the beginning of the year. So January 2nd, and then we, we buy stuff January 2nd or 3rd or within a week. We also maximize RSPs. So my RSP, since I'm the only person working in the family, but I have set up a spousal RSP, so we try to split Our RSPs up, so hopefully by the time we're living off our dividends, we have similar dividend income to reduce our taxes. And then once our TFSA and RSPs are are maximized, then we start investing in our taxable accounts, both my wife and I. Now, TFSA, we only hold Canadian dividend-paying stocks, meaning um, both just regular dividend stocks or REITs or income trusts. Right. So we only hold those in D FSA. In RSPs, we hold the Canadian ones, but we try to hold as much US paying dividend stocks as possible because if you invest in US dividend stocks outside of RSP, you get hit by a 15% withholding tax. So if the company pays you a dollar a dividend, you don't actually get a full dollar, you only get 85 cents. Right. So to avoid getting deemed by the government, we only invest US dividend paying stocks. In RSP, in taxable accounts, we only invest in Canadian dividend stocks that pay eligible dividends. Now, what does that mean? Eligible dividends, eligible dividends are treated more favorable when it comes to the income taxes. Uh, you get dividend inc- uh, credits. Essentially, it, it means don't invest REITs in taxable accounts because that that becomes a tax nightmare, right? Because REITs don't. The reason why they're considered eligible dividends because corporations like, like TD. When they earn their money, they pay taxes on top of that, that profit, and then they distribute that pro- part of that profit to the shareholders. So because that the, the dividends are already taxed, you don't pay tax on top. You only pay a little bit of tax on top of that. Now you, you tax, you're taxed on your, your marginal tax rate, and you, get, you actually get some dividend credits back. Whereas REITs, they don't pay taxes when they take in their their uh rental income. They they take the income and then they they pay you, you know, 60 to 90 percent of that income to you. So that income is not taxed, right? So when you hold REITs in your taxable account, that becomes a tax nightmare. Right? I don't want to deal with that. So <laughs> yeah. that, that's the reason we don't do that. Now, financial mechanics was asking, what do we do with our, our dividends right now? Right now we're fully reinvesting. So we enroll in dividend reinvestment plan as much as we can whenever we're eligible. That means if TD share is $50 a share and we get $60 a dividend, we can add an, an additional share each time TD pays dividend. Now with discount brokers, you can only do synthetic drips. That means you can only buy one full shares. You could buy fractional shares if you enroll with their uh, transfer agents, and that's and that's that's very complicated because you actually have to get a, a share certificate. Yeah, you have to contact the company and so on and so on. There is one company called Share Owner that you could do fractional shares with them. I think Share Owner is owned by Wealth Simple somehow. We have our kids' dividend portfolio set up with Sharehold Share Owner. So the idea is we just leave it and. That drip forever until they're old. Perfect. Yeah. So right now, if we look at our dividend income, we our drip ratio, which means how much money are we dripping as part of our monthly dividend income? We drip our drip ratio is anywhere from around sixty to seventy percent. So I mean, for a thousand dollars we receive each month, reinvest seven hundred dollars, six hundred seven hundred dollars of that dividend into buying additional shares. Now that leftover money, uh, so the $340 leftover, over, we then that those accumulate. And once they're roughly $1,000 or so, then we reinvest into buying other shares or so on. Right? So that, that's the idea. Hopefully that answers your question. That's a, that's a long answer.
0: <laughs> well, I stacked you up with multiple questions, so. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> if you're like most of us, getting life insurance is something you know you should do, but you never seem to get around to it.
0: You're right, Chrissy. Now there's a better way to buy life insurance. It's called PolicyMe, and I think our listeners will love it. More than 37,000 Canadians have already used PolicyMe for their life insurance quotes.
1: Yeah, I've actually tried it myself, and in less than 10 minutes, I received a selection of quotes from reputable established insurers. It's fast, free, easy to use, and no pressure.
0: Sounds great. I heard PolicyMe uses intelligent technology and personalized advice that recommends what you need, but not a penny more. You could save hundreds of dollars per year on your policy as top insurers compete for your business.
1: Protect your family. Get your personalized quote today at ExplorifyCanada.ca forward slash policy me. I want to ask a little bit more about the drips because I've heard that if you use drips in non-registered accounts, because you mentioned your kids have their own accounts and I assume they're non-registered because they're not old enough for registered doesn't that create a taxation nightmare because with drips you have so many multiple cases of adjusted cost base where you have to keep refiguring out how much their their shares cost does that become a an accounting nightmare for you that's
2: why you have a spreadsheet <laughs> <laughs> i'm a spreadsheet nurse so that that's not an issue for me okay
1: <laughs> see for me that's just like a headache i mean i mean it's it's not
2: that hard right so you just you just have to keep track of how much like, say, say you bought 100 shares at $100, that's your initial cost basis, and then each time you get an additional share via DRIP or even a fractional share, you just add that into your Excel sheet, and that automatically calculates your adjusted cost basis, right? And that only becomes an issue if you decide to sell, mm-hmm. right? If you decide to hold on it, you don't have to deal with it, right?
1: Eventually you will. <laughs> when you sell, you will have
2: Or Well, to. eventually, if we, if we pass it to our kids, then they
1: can. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: or, or even better yet, you donate it. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Right? And you can check out the show notes for Talkan's spreadsheet course coming up soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so speaking of that, I actually have a, um, a dividend spreadsheet. It's a good spreadsheet, yeah. I keep seeing comments come up on that because I've used it for a while, too. It's awesome.
2: And I actually just recently fixed it because basically it's a Google spreadsheet and we're utilizing Google Finance, but Google Finance doesn't pull dividend info. So what I did is I, I found an, a function within the spreadsheet, so I was able to pull stuff right out from website. But that became unreliable because what happens The the websites like Yahoo Finance and stuff, they start doing using JavaScript. So this function gets wonky. So I then found an add-on. So now everything works perfectly. So knock on wood.
0: (laughs) Okay. Quick question about, we talked about drips and at what point when you choose to start taking the cash. And I see a lot of people, I love when people do their dividend income updates and things like that. And I know people have some goals of this being there income, their passive income, when they get to financial independence. So if you've got a TFSA, an RSP, and a non-registered account, and you're saying, you know, just I'm spitballing here, your monthly update is that you've got $1,500 in dividends. And that's your passive income. That's fantastic. But I'm sure it's not $500 per account. And when we get to financial independence, how are we going to remove the cash? Like, It's easy to say, oh, look at that. Now we've got $4,000 a month in passive income, and that hits our annual spend. So we're financially independent, we're fired, we're all good to go. But some of that cash is going to be in accounts that you're not going to pull from. So how is that going to work for you in financial independence when you get there?
2: Very good question. I actually wrote, um, I think, two or three posts on that. We have made some number assumptions, like how much our expenses will look like when we're financially dependent. So we think anywhere... Roughly 50,000 would work. 50,000 Canadian would work for us. Uh, that's with some buffer. Now, just to be to, to have some margin safety, we use 60,000 a year as, as annual expenses that we need. So we need 60,000 of dividend income to cover us. So because we're splitting between my wife and myself, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're never going to get to 50-50 split because just how the RSP is set up and so on. So something about like six, 40, 60, 45, 55 split would be great. So then the other thing that I went into in in these analysis that I did is, well, how much money can we withdraw from each account each year so we could be pay as little tax as possible? Exactly. So with RSPs, if you do an early withdrawal, you actually have to pay withholding tax. Now there's a trick, so it, the withholding, the amount of withholding tax actually changes depending on the amount you pull out. So that that becomes a strategy you have to utilize. So our idea is we're going to utilize TFSA as much as possible because TFSA anything you withdraw is is tax free. So another clarification: is when you withdraw money out from RSP, that money is counted as employment income,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? So that that gets taxed on your marginal tax free So what you want to do is if you're not working actively, or if you're doing a part-time job, what you want to do is you you want to stay under the the first bracket. I forgot the exact number, but essentially the bracket that you don't have to pay any taxes.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
2: And so our strategy is that we're going to withdraw. So just looking it up on my post right now. So with RSP, if you're living outside of, Canada, outside of Quebec, because Quebec has different rates, if you draw up to $5,000, you have to pay 10% withholding tax. Between 5000 and 15000 is 20%. More than $15,000, 30%. So our idea is we will draw $4,450 from our RSP each year. And we will get hit by $445 withholding tax, that's 10% we will still receive $4,005 from our RSP. That is counted as income tax. And then our plan is to, to get, uh, for my wife would get about 5,000 dividend income from her taxable account. For me, about 7,000. And combined together, that get us underneath the rate, the next bracket. Threshold, yeah. yeah. So then we we will actually get that 10% withholding tax back.
1: So I just want to clarify that withholding tax for our listeners in case they're not familiar it's not an additional tax it's that they want to make sure you pay some of your tax so they're going to take some right away but it doesn't mean that's adding on to your marginal tax rate Mm -hmm. it will factor into that so don't worry it's not an extra additional penalty or something like that in the states you can't withdraw from your 401k without paying a penalty but rsps are not like that there is no penalty but you do lose the space forever. So you do have to keep that in mind if you're withdrawing yeah. early.
2: And then in my analysis, I actually said, okay, what about if we were to uh, work part-time and make $20,000 in a forty-sixty mix? And according to my calculation, again, this this was done a couple of years ago. We would actually pay something like, yeah, we would combine, we would pay $756 in taxes <laughs> with a comp- combined taxable income of $40,010. So for me that that's nothing. Right. So so there, there are definitely some strategies in terms of how do you how do you withdraw, especially from RSP. And the other danger of RSP is you have to, to change RSP into RIF by by the time you're turning, I think 71, right? Seventy one.
0: Seventy
2: one, yeah, you're 71st. And once you turn that into RIF, the government starts mandating how much you have to withdraw each year. For me, that that's not ideal. No. Right. Because you could have too much money and you have to, you, you end up with a big hit in taxes. And, and that also means you can get into some of the um, government benefits, right? There's clawback. So my idea is to start withdrawing from our RSP early to eventually collapse that. And then the other strategy some people have is you withdraw from your RSP and then put that money into your TFSA each year, right? So each year right now at 6,000. So you withdraw, say, 6,000 from your RSP get hit by tax, but you, you transfer that to TFSA. So whatever you make from TFSA becomes tax-free. So there, there are a few different strategies. And again, I'm not a tax specialist. I do try to read as much as, as I can. But if you want to look into more of this, you should consult with a tax specialist.
1: Now, where does do your non-registered accounts come in? When do you plan to withdraw from those?
2: We do plan to withdraw as soon as we are living off our dividend income but we're trying to limit how much we're withdrawing. So just looking at it, again, I I wrote this a while ago. So yeah, we were trying to withdraw from TFSA as much as we can, and then some RSP, and then use a little bit of taxable.
0: How do you respond to the question or the point of view from people that focus on total return? As opposed to a dividend portfolio, because I think we've been discussing the how you need to have a good strategy for taxable, uh, minimize your taxes during drawdown. And one of the arguments is that if you just have a total return portfolio, then you have much more control over those taxes because you create your own dividends. You don't have to worry about them being spit out in your non-registered and things like that. Have you thought about that? And you're still comfortable with the dividend side of it, obviously, but did you compare that? Did you weigh the options about making your own dividends?
2: I did. And I think if you're just talking about strictly investing in taxable accounts, then I think the capital appreciation, like the capital gain would be more efficient than dividend Mm -hmm. income. But if you take the tax advantage accounts into consideration, that the math becomes a bit fuzzy.
0: Right, right. right.
2: So with our strategy by withdrawing dividends from RSP and and TFSA, and we were also planning to eventually touch the principal, maybe not the first five, 10 years, maybe later on. That gives us a bit more flexibility, right? And just because I I track our monthly dividend income doesn't mean I I don't care about price appreciation. I do care about that. Some, Some dividend investors say they don't care but I'm, I'm not there. I do care about dividend income and also price appreciation. So for example, we have some stocks that are, you know, already up like 100, 200, percent right? And, and also, even though I, I said at the beginning of the show, I invest in dividend and, and index fund, I do have a small, small, small percentage of my portfolio that we, it's kind of play money. We, we do invest <laughs> in, yeah. in some non-growth um, like stocks, right? So for example, we own Google and Facebook. Both of them have done really well, right? So, yeah. so things like that. I mean, it's, it's not it doesn't take out a huge percentage of my our portfolio, but it's just kind of play money, right? So that's my way of learning how to evaluate stocks. But yeah, to to answer your question, I do think you have to look at look at everything holistically. So both dividend income and also capital gain, but the math gets a bit fuzzy when you take tax advantage accounts into consideration, and and also. Your withdrawal strategies could be different depending on the individual. So it's a little bit hard to figure out which one is, is more efficient.
0: And I think, too, is when you end up really getting into it, you see that the majority of the Canadian companies that are blue chip that you're going to want to be holding do pay out dividends anyway so whether it's the big five banks whether it's the uh, telcos or the utilities you're going to be getting a dividend so it's kind of a mute point a lot of people are like total return is about is everything that's what you want to go for but if you want to hold some individual stocks chances are in Canada you're going to get a dividend
2: yeah and and the other thing I often consider is you know people talk about percentage fees that you pay in index funds and Mm -hmm. people are going crazy about you know fractions of a percent right <laughs> and yeah. if you again look at it holistically say you're getting sixty thousand a year from your portfolio whether from capital gain or or dividend stocks, does it really matter if it's sixty thousand or sixty thousand and ten dollars like it's not going to matter at the end of the day right like are you spending that much time fighting that little one dollar or two dollar it's like you know you, yeah. you got you got better better things to do That's my opinion anyways.
1: Is there anyone that you would say dividend investing is not for?
2: Good question. I haven't actually thought about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's not for someone like me because I don't want to do all the
2: analysis. If you want to just purely do passive investing, maybe that's not for you. You just want to, you know, contribute a certain amount of money regularly buying index funds and then have your robo-advisor rebalance it for you and you don't want to touch it at all, that's perfectly fine. I think as long as you're investing your money and, you know, instead of hiding your money under your mattress, that's great. I mean, some people just don't have that interest, right? So I think that's totally fine.
0: I think too, we should probably mention that this isn't a do or don't situation. It's that you don't have to do dividend investing to be successful. We all know that a simple approach, as you said, over a long period of time is what makes everybody successful, right? Yeah. There's definitely a tendency if you're controlling your own dividend portfolio that A, I mean, I've, I've lost on poor picks, and you're probably more likely to move in and out of positions, which the research has shown is detrimental to your overall return over time too. So everyone goes, dividend, it's free money, this is awesome. But there are a lot of caveats to it as well.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like good analogies, maybe like asking people what kind of dessert you like to eat, right? Some people prefer ice cream, some people like chocolate cake. Doesn't mean one is better than
0: the other. It's just personal preference. Ice cream is way better than chocolate cake.
1: (laughs) They're even better together.
0: That's right. <laughs> ice cream cake. Okay. I will yeah. agree with ice cream cake. And, and speaking of ice cream cake, it's hot enough today that I think that's how we're going to oh, yes. show up. <laughs> Chrissy, how are you feeling? We've covered a lot of territory here, and we've probably, some of our listeners are going to be just rubbing their hands together and getting ready to dive into Bob's posts all about <laughs> to learn more. And some people are like, oh, I hope they talk about index CTS. <laughs>
1: That's me. I'm the index camp.
0: Anything else you want to dig into?
1: No, I think you covered a lot. I mean, there is one big question that people on your blog ask you, and we'll just ask you here. What is the dollar value of your portfolio? (laughs)
2: $10 million, I have to finger (laughs)
1: like
2: Dr. Evil. No, um, you know what? You can do the math. That's a very good question because, I mean, I have my names on the internet, right? So I, I want to keep some privacy for our own sake, right? So I don't I don't list the actual portfolio value and I don't I don't some information I, I withhold, right? So for example, we don't share our net worth number, how many shares we hold. But you could you could work it backwards, right? Like if we get, you know, right now, I think this year we'll probably end up with somewhere around twenty-seven thousand, maybe thirty thousand dividend income, you know, you could work it backwards by using two percent, three percent, four percent, five percent. That gives you a kind of a wide range of how much we have invested. Right. And and like I said before, we don't just invest in dividend index. We also have other, other stuff too. right? So I don't know why people are so interested in, in like how much it's like, does that matter? If, if I have, if I have $10 million (laughs) invested versus I have $50,000 invested, does that make me more
0: success? success
2: versus, I don't know.
0: I'm not sure. Well, you know, I, I always follow along with Mark Seed's weekend reading and he got the very same question recently. I don't know if you noticed it just came out here at the end of July and he danced around the subject <laughs> like you did. So we'll leave it at that and I kind of my opinion on the whole net worth and portfolio value and things like that. I think it's super interesting for people that are new to the game and they're just getting started and that sort of under $100,000 threshold, where it's you're starting to see some growth, you're excited, you're putting money into it. But once it gets above into six figures, it's kind of irrelevant at that point. And it's not a competition and some people are gonna get there at different times. So the initial period where everyone's sort of getting excited about it, that's great to share and, and be and keep motivated and things like that. But at a certain point, you've been quote unquote successful on the journey to get there. So now it's about sharing the information and just and helping the community.
2: Exactly. And and really when it comes to dividend investing, I do track our dividend growth percentage, like year over year performance. And once you're once you get a sizable dividend income, you you will face what I call the law of a very big number. So you, you're going to find it harder and harder to grow your dividend income, right? So for example, if you get $100 dividend per year, to get another $100 is is not that difficult because $100 at, at 4% yield, that means you have to invest $2,500 to get another $100. Now, if you get you know $30,000 of dividend to increase by 100%, meaning another $30,000 at 4% dividend yield, that's $750,000. Unless you're some sort of CEO or some somebody making crazy amount of money, that's pretty hard to do, right? Yeah. So as you grow your dividend income, your dividend income growth is going to slow down and eventually you're going to rely on, one, dripping, and two, the organic dividend growth from the stocks. So for example, okay. if if TD is increasing their dividend five percent each year that's how your dividend income will grow and hopefully that percentage is going to be greater than
0: your inflation rate i was just gonna say yeah i was like we could go into a whole new subject now talking about inflation <laughs> and how dividends are kind of a hedge because companies have increased their dividend and that's, that's, part two. that's part two right yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well thanks so much for being on the show bob that was a lot of interesting information and just remind our listeners, well, Chrissy, I guess I should let you get a word in at the end here if you've got something left to say. Otherwise, Bob, you can finish off with where our listeners can find you again and any parting thoughts you might have.
2: Yeah, so you could, you could find me on on my blog. That's uh, taucan.com, so T-A-W-C-A-N.com. Uh, I'm also pretty active on Twitter, so it's at Taucan. Just Google the word because I'm the only one that uses that word. Yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been great talking about dividend income and dividend investing. I know there's a lot of questions people may have, especially when you first start out. So if you're new to this or you're still doing index investing and you want to see what dividend investing is like, feel free to uh, you know, email me or contact me, check out my blog. And just the final word is that you know, if you're doing index investing and you're perfectly fine, uh, you just want to be passive, as passive as you can don't feel pressure to change your strategy. Like the last thing you want to do is, is changing your strategy. I, I have this analogy I heard a, a while ago It's called stay in line. Don't, don't jump around in like, imagine you're in at a grocery store, you're in line, you're like, okay, that, that line is quicker. We go through the other <laughs> line, but turns out it wasn't right. So it, when yeah. you change your strategy, that, that decreases your return, right? So if you're perfectly happy with index investing, stay in line, stay with dividend investing now. Sorry, index investing. Now, if you have some interest in dividend investing, great. Look at it, evaluate whether that that's something you want to do and do some sort of hybrid, right? Don't just say, okay, I'm doing dividend investing, uh, index investing now. That doesn't work. I just jump over to, to dividend investing or even like, you know, options and stuff like that. That just, uh,
0: Oh, that's a fun one too. That's another world
2: to dive into. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. That's really good advice. Holistic and investor psychology. Those are important things here.
2: Yeah. Another good phrase I learned was uh, your ego is not your amigo. <laughs> your amigo is yeah. friend in Spanish.
0: Your ego is not your amigo. <laughs> so yeah, your ego your
2: ego is not your friend. So. Perfect. Nice.
1: Well, thank you so much, Bob. We had a great time with you. It took us a while to get you on, but we're happy we could finally get you on. Does that help you meet your goal? I think one of your goals this year was to get on more podcasts. So,
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. And thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's always fun to talk and uh, sort of clarify and, and making sure that, that what we're doing is it makes sense. Because right? when I'm writing it, it always makes sense in my head. So <laughs> it's yeah. nice to talk to other people about it.
1: For sure. Well, thank you so much. And we hope we'll talk to you again soon.
2: Yeah, thanks again.
1: Thanks for listening. If you've been getting value from our content, please support us in the following ways. One, leave us a review and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Two, tell your friends and family about us. Three, use our referral links at exploreficanada.ca forward slash recommendations. All of our show notes can be found at exploreficanada.ca. You can also find us at our own blogs, figarage.ca or eatsleepbreathefi.com. Today's episode was edited and mixed by Max Desmarais with music provided by Purple Planet.